I've got good news for you. We're not talking about sex or politics, but we are going to talk about money today. And that is good news. It is good news because what we're going to talk about today has the ability to change. It's, it's really a game-changing, life-changing perspective if we can get a hold of it. And it's, it's this idea of putting God first in our finances. And here's why it's so pivotal. It's because money is not just this inanimate thing. It's not this other than everything else in our life. Sometimes we can become so compartmental. Meaning it's like, well, I've got God here, and then I've got my job here, and I've got my money here. And then I've got my hobbies over here, and on Sundays I like to come visit church and spirituality, but then on Monday I go to work, and I don't want church and work running into each other. And I don't want money and my family running into each other. And my hobbies, I don't, I don't want that in church running into And can I just tell you, you were not created to be a compartmentalized person. You are a whole person. Body, soul, and spirit. And all of these facets, including money, have an impact on who we are. And I want to tell you, actually, money is a reflection of who you are. Because money, our finances, are a physical outward manifestation of our inward perspective and beliefs. What you do with your money determines who you are. I've said that statement over the years before that... Money doesn't change who you are. Money just makes you more of who you already are on the inside. The more money you get, the more of who you are you live out. If you're poor and you don't have any money, well, all you do is sit around and dream of all the things you would do if you did have money. But those things that you would do and the things that you do do, do do, when you get money, actually are a reflection of who you are. And I've said that over the years, and I remember a long time ago when my son was like 10 years old, I said that in church, and he said, Dad, you said that uh, you could look at somebody's checkbook ledger and, and see where they spend their money, and you could tell them who they are. And I said, that's right. And he says, well, if, if they did that in our family, they would think our last name was Walmart. And... <laughs> It's because when your kids are little, you school shop, you grocery shop, the answer to almost all life's problems when you're raising kids is Walmart or Myers. But the reality is that our money has a big part to play in identifying who we are. It's a material manifestation of our inward priorities. A guy named Sam Houston is actually the founder of the city of Houston, the fourth largest city in the United States. When they were establishing the city, he actually paid for the first church building to ever be built. He paid cash for it. And then he hired a pastor because they needed somebody to preach on Sundays. They needed somebody to baptize. They needed somebody to do weddings and funerals. And, and so he just paid for it. And, and when they needed a new church bell, you know, in the, in the bell tower, he paid for the bell. Somebody once asked Sam Houston, he said, Sam, why? Are you so generous with the church? Why do you give all your money? Why are you, you know, giving like nobody else gives into the kingdom of God? And I love Sam Houston's answer. He said this. He said, well, you need to understand that when I got baptized, my wallet got baptized too. And I think for some of us, we need to have a second baptismal service where we actually put our wallets and our purses in the water and we say, Jesus, you're not just Lord of my soul, you're Lord of every part of my life. Because God wants to be Lord of all. And if he's not Lord of all, he's not Lord at all. And that means every part of our lives. And so what I want to talk to you today about is what does it look like to put God first in your finances? If you will get a hold of this, listen to me, I promise you, 
I promise you it'll change your life forever for the better. It'll change. It'll push your faith. It'll push every other aspect of your life forward if you answer the question to put God first in your finances. Look with me here in Luke chapter 16. Luke chapter 16, Jesus is teaching about a three-part faithfulness test in the kingdom of God. And it's brilliant. I mean, if, if there's one passage of Scripture I think every young person ought to memorize, it is the verses we're about to read, verses 10 through 13 in Luke chapter 16. Because Jesus shows us the key to promotion in all things. The key to promotion in all things. It says in verse number 10, Jesus said, He who is faithful in what is least or little is faithful also with much. And he who is unjust with what is least or little is unjust also in much. Therefore, if you have not been faithful with unrighteous mammon, who will commit to your trust true riches? And if you have not been faithful in what is another man's, who will give you your own? This is key, this next part. Jesus said, no servant can serve two masters. For he either he will hate the one and love the other, or else he will be loyal to the one and despise the other. And then he says, you cannot serve God and mammon. Now Jesus gives in this text a three-part test of faithfulness that is the key to almost all growth, all promotion, all advancement, both in the natural world and in the spiritual arena. He says, number one, if you want to be made a trustworthy steward over more, then you've got to start with being faithful in little things. The key to growing and receiving more, whether it's in the natural or in the spiritual realm, starts with being faithful with little. Years and years and years ago, talking about finances and, and, and putting God first in our finances, when we were probably 60 people as a church, we had a small little building over in Richland that had a had seating capacity of like 60, 50, 60 people, and we would do Wednesday night Bible studies. Had this couple that would drive up from about an hour away, and uh, they, they came to me one night and they said, you know, Pastor, we love this church, and we, we want to give significantly into, you know, a building fund and different things like that. I said, that's awesome. Appreciate that so much. And they said, we don't give right now because we don't make that much, but we have a couple business prospects that when they pay off, we're going to make millions and millions and millions of dollars. And when we get those millions of dollars, we are going to give a whole lot of that to the church. Can I tell you how long I held my breath waiting for them to actually give anything to the church? It wasn't even one second. And it's why. here's why. It's because if you can't be faithful with the little things that you have in your life, you will never be faithful when you have a lot. Whatever you are on with, the, with little things in your life, with the details of life, are just scale model of what you would do if you got more. That's why we see athletes and celebrities who make millions and millions and millions of dollars blow their lives up. Why? It's because now they've just got more ammunition to explode their life because of their internal character. Nothing changes who you are on the inside. It just gives you more money to become more of who you already were. So in the kingdom of God, in the world, doesn't matter if it's money, if it's anything. If you can't be faithful with little, you'll never be made master over more. Second one, I'm going to skip one, is Jesus said, faithfulness in what belongs to somebody else qualifies you to become the owner of your own. And so I'm going to help, I'm going to help all the business owners in this room out. 
If you've ever worked for somebody and you thought to yourself, you know what, I wish that they'd pay me more. I've actually had people ask me, Pastor, how do I get a, how do I get a raise? How do I get a promotion? How, how do I get my boss to give me more money or give me more responsibility? The answer is easy. Do more than you're paid for. Do more. I mean, that's profound. Do more than your boss pays you to do. Become indispensable to your boss, and he will compensate you appropriately. But here's the problem. Most of the time in life, we're waiting for somebody to pay us what we want to be paid so that then we can do what they want us to do. We say, if they would just give me more money, then I would do this. You've got it all backwards. Every business owner knows it. No, what I'm looking for is I'm looking for the person that doesn't just work 40 hours, but the person who does the details, the extras, doesn't have to be told, does more than they're paid to do. That's the person I'm going to promote. And so you will wait around your entire life waiting for somebody to bless you, waiting for somebody to give something to you, but that attitude is called entitlement means I think I deserve more than what I have. Instead of I'm going to work and create myself to be an indispensable part of the organization and then I will, be, I will be promoted, I will be elevated. Joseph is a prime example of that. That's the second test. And by the way, that's all bonus material. It has absolutely nothing to do with putting God first in your finances. Except it does. Okay. And here's the third test of faithfulness, which seems really out of the ordinary. Jesus said... If you won't be faithful with unrighteous mammon, who would give you true spiritual riches? So what he's talking about, unrighteous mammon, is the Bible's way of describing money. Unrighteous mammon. And the reason why Jesus at the end of that section says that you cannot serve God and mammon, some translations say money, Actually, I like the New King James better because it says mammon. Mammon, was it's equivalent to money, but mammon is something more. Listen, mammon was an actual Canaanite deity of wealth and fortune. It was a spiritual god that actually people worshipped because they believed in worshipping it, it would release increase and financial blessing into their life. And Jesus said that you cannot serve, and even if we want to just call it money, you can't actually, as a Christian, serve God and serve money. You will love one and hate the other. It's impossible. And you know what I find fascinating about Jesus' statement is this. He doesn't use anything else to contrast true worship of God except money. He doesn't say you can't worship God and sex. He doesn't say that. He doesn't say you can't worship God in sports. He says you can't worship God in money because money represents something that no other, no other entity, no other commodity in our worldly experience could possibly do. You see, when we talk about worshiping God, what we're saying is God is all-powerful over all things. He is the Lord, Savior, and provider of my salvation, of my future. He controls my days. He controls my every movement. What happens to me tomorrow is in his hands. And I'm going to be faithful to serve him because I've, I believe everything. What, my daily bread, where I go, my health, the breath in my lungs, everything is in his hands. He has the power to give me blessing, and so I serve him. There's only one thing in our worldly experience that is a demonic counterfeit to who God is, and it's money. Money is the only thing that we have that stands alone and says to you and I, I can do that. God says, 
I want to be in charge of your future. Money says, if you have enough of me, you can chart your own future. God says, I want to be the one that takes care of your health. Money stands over here and says, if you serve me, you can be as healthy as you want to. God says, if you serve me, I'll give you happiness, peace, and joy, and a sense of meaning in your life. Money stands over here and says, if you serve me, I can buy you anything, take you wherever you want to go, combine you with whoever you need to, network you in relationships. I can give you every pleasure. I can give you every, every preference. You serve me, and I can give it to you. Money's the only other thing. That's why Jesus uses it. So lordship of Jesus, literally, when we deal with the issue of money, everything else is connected to it. Everything else is connected to it. That's why we don't like talking about it sometimes. Because we know the tentacles of money sometimes seep into the deepest places of who we are. Our fears, our dreams, our identity, our status, all those things. It's exactly why Jesus said that wherever your treasure is, there will also your heart be. Wherever your treasure is, your heart will follow. So it's why God says he wants to be first in our finances because he knows when he controls the money issues of our life, he has our heart. See, God's not interested in getting what you have. God's interested in getting who you are. And he knows in order to get who you are, he has to start with the things that you have because money is a test. Everybody say this with me. Say money is a test. That's a very true statement. You see, in this life, in this world, this is not all that there is. How many know that when we die, we either spend eternity with God in heaven or we spend eternity separated from God in hell? We are eternal beings. This life is training for future reigning. This life and everything in it is a test and money is a big part of that test. If you've ever played board games, but which, by the way, I absolutely hate board games. Except Bible trivia, which I win all the time. I love that. But, and my kids were growing up, the only games that we played were Yahtzee and Uno. I hate board games. But board games are interesting because you lay out the board, you've got the little spinner and the dice, the cards, and you've got all the rules that you put into place. And the winner has to play by the rules. Paul said in 1 Corinthians chapter 9, when you live your life, run the race of life in such a way that you might win. And the one who wins is the one who plays by the rules. In the game of life, so to speak, which is a training program for God's children to become mature and fully developed in the image of Christ so that in the future age we can reign and rule with him, we have to pass the tests. And one of the tests that God has put into our life experience is money. Because money's sticky. Money is one of the games. Is, do we really think that somehow we came up with money? It's like God said, let there be light. Let there be grass and rivers and fields and mountains and Starbucks. And then he put man in the garden and he said, okay, now, here you go. Now obey me, all the spiritual stuff. And then all of a sudden man looked around and went, ooh, that's shiny. I like that, gold, and, and we placed value on it. Do we really think we came up with money that in heaven God's like, look at Jesus, they're like, they've created a trading system with things that they all like, gold, silver, and precious stones and animals, and they're exchanging them. I would have never seen that coming. Wow, that's pretty good. <laughs> Do we think we came up with it? No, God knew very well. If you read Genesis chapter 1 and 2, what you will re quickly realize is that God 
put the gold in the ground. He says, he names one of the lands, and he says it's the place where the gold is in the ground. Gold, God put gold in the ground. And he hardwired into our human hearts value. Hard work was part of our great calling in Genesis chapter 1 that we would work in partnership with him and that in return we would receive reward and provision. And it was after the fall that we began to value things more than we valued the presence of God. I mean, have you ever wondered why we like gold more than we like aluminum? And you're just like, well, it really doesn't matter. They're all kind of the same. Oh, it'll matter. Boyfriends, I dare you to take your girlfriends down to Zales or Jared's or Costco or whatever. Take them to the jewelry counter and say, now I really want to get married. And so I'd like you to pick out a ring. Now there's this platinum one over here that has a two carat, you know, really clear, you know, multifaceted diamond over here. We could buy that, but that's like $14,000. Or what I was thinking, hear me out, is we could get this aluminum one over here with a cubic zirconium for $59. It matters. Every lady in the room ought to be shouting me down right now, saying it matters. You're not, but it matters. Where do you think that sense of value came from? God designed that. And every day you get up and you go and exchange a portion of your life, 40 or 50 hours. You give somebody a portion of your life, and in exchange they give you a piece of paper back with decimals and commas and numbers that express value. And it's a test. God knows that it's connected to our hearts. Money is a test. So how do we pass the test of saying, God, I'm a follower of Jesus Christ with all my heart, body, soul, and spirit, everything that I have, my faith, my family, and my finances. I want you to be Lord of all. In order for us to be able to answer that question and say, yes, God, I know that I'm passing that test. In order to wake up every single day, live every single week of our lives and know beyond a shadow of a doubt that our heart is calibrated towards God. Because let me tell you, the most, the most uh, destructive, spiritually transmitted disease in our culture, in American culture, is the love of money. It's not like that in other parts of the world. They have other issues. In America, our problem is the love of money. And you want to know why? Because we have more of it. How many, raise your hand right now. How many, this is a trick question, by the way. I'm just warning you. How many of you in this room consider yourself wealthy? Raise your hand. Every single person in this room, raise your hand right now. Raise it. You want to know why? It's because if you take the 7 billion people on this planet, if you are on food stamps in America, you are in the top 3% of wealth globally. You are rich. And the spiritually transmitted disease that is what 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse 10 says is like spears and swords that pierce our soul, killing us spiritually, is the love of money that is the root of all kinds of evil. How do we, how do we what, what's the vaccine, what's the antidote to you and I as American Christians, it's all Christians, but especially us, what's the antidote to keep us free from the love of money that becomes a root of, from which all kinds of other evils grow? How do we do that? Well, it's very simple. We have got to put God first in our finance, and God has given us a test. He's given us a metric by which we are called to live our lives, and that metric, that test is called the tithe. Now, I want you to look with me, flip over in your Bibles to Matthew... Malachi chapter 3, 
In Malachi, in the Old Testament, last book of the Old Testament, the prophet is speaking to the children of Israel, the, the people of God who are at one of the wealthiest times in Israel's history. And the whole book of Malachi is a book of return. It's God saying, return to me with your heart. Return to me with your faith. Return to me with your family. Divorce was rampant. People's faith was apathetic. And as we're going to see, they had stopped honoring God as first in their finances. At a time when they had more than anybody else did. And here's what God says to them in Malachi 3 verse 6. He says, I am the Lord. I do not change. Therefore, you are not consumed, O sons of Jacob. Yet from the days of your fathers, you have gone away from my ordinances, and you've not kept them. Return to me, and I will return to you, says the Lord of hosts. But you've said, in what way shall we return? Will a man rob God, and yet you have robbed me? But you say, in what way have we robbed you? In tithes and offerings. You are cursed with a curse, for you have robbed me, even this whole nation. Therefore, bring all the tithes into the storehouse, that there might be food in my house. And test me now in this, says the Lord of hosts. If I will not open for you the windows of heaven and pour out for you such blessing, that there will not be room enough to receive it. And I will rebuke the devourer for your sake, so that he will not destroy the fruit of your ground, nor shall the vine fail to bear fruit for you in a field, says the Lord of hosts. And all nations shall call you blessed, for you will be a delightful land, declares the Lord. It's the principle of the tithe. For those of you who, you know, some people say, well, I tithe, and... And I ask, well, do you know what the word tithe means? They'll say, it just means giving. Well, no. The word tithe literally means tenth. It's a biblical principle that you find in Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, all the way through the Old Testament. It ends in the book of Malachi. Jesus spoke about it in the Gospel of Matthew. The writer of Hebrews uh, recognizes tithing is very valid. Paul references it in 2 Corinthians chapter 9 and 8. And it's all the way through the Bible. The principle of the tithe is a way, it's a test that God gave to his people from the very beginning of saying, I want to be first in your finances because I want your heart to always be connected to me as your provider. And so here's the test that I'm going to give to you. Every time you get increase in your life, I want you to set aside, take the first and a tenth of everything that you have, set it aside, and you're going to worship me and honor me by giving it to me in the place that he refers to as the storehouse. I want you to take your first, and I want you to take a tenth, and I want you to set it aside before you do anything else, and then I want you to bring it to the place where I've chosen to make my name abide. Malachi calls it the storehouse. The New Testament calls it the local church, and we bring it and we worship God by giving it, returning it back to the Lord and saying, God, this is a covenant memorial saying, I recognize that my provision, my health, my life, my increase, my finances all belong to you, and before I spend it on anything else, before I do anything that I want to do with it, I'm giving you the first tenth of it. And what God says that he does is he releases his supernatural blessing and covenantal bias into your life and your finances so that the windows of heaven are opened over your finances and over your life. It's called the tithe. It's the principle of the tithe. 
Now, I have actually over the years taught on this several times. Some people are afraid to teach on it. I'm not afraid to teach on it because it's changed Jane and I's life over 25 years of being married. And I've seen it change our entire church. I've seen it change people's lives. The people who do it prosper. The people who don't struggle. And the reason why they struggle is not because God's in heaven going, well, I like you and I don't like you. It's because when we do it, we release God to open the windows of heaven and release blessing. Do you know what blessing is? Blessing is when you, it's, it's like God's wind in your sails. It's like his supernatural bias that helps you gives, you, gives you more grace than you deserve. And notice what God says in Malachi. He says to the nation of Israel, you don't do it, therefore you're under a curse. It's real simple to me. If we tithe, we live blessed financially. It doesn't mean that we're rich. It doesn't mean that we all drive around in Bentleys and Mercedes. It has nothing to do with that. That's been hijacked. But what I'm talking about is God's grace, God's provision, God's favor, God opening up the windows of heaven, God meeting all of our needs according to his riches and glory. Let me give you a biblical definition of prosperity. Are you ready? It has nothing to do with Rolexes, Bentleys, mansions, and jet planes. Biblical definition of prosperity is that you have everything that you need to accomplish God's purpose for your life and enough left over to be generous with other people. God wants you to prosper that way. That's a biblical definition. But when we live in this world under a cursed economy, it's not God in heaven going, well, if you don't tithe, I'm going to curse you. No, what God says is this world is cursed. Have you figured that out yet? Look at the news. There is a curse because of man's rebellion against God. We've separated ourselves from God. And so what we do is we live on all creations under a curse. And God says to his children, look, the economy's cursed. It's jacked up. Don't trust it. As smart as you are, don't trust the economy. You're not smart enough to figure it out without insider trading information. But God says, I don't want you to dwell under a curse. I want you to come under a blessing where God is actually, God is actually blessing, pouring out his favor. He's supernaturally, miraculously providing for you. He takes the 90% of your income that you have left after you've honored him with the first tenth, and he actually blesses it and makes it more potent than the 100% under a curse. So somebody asked me one time, they said, well, why did God make it 10%? Why didn't he make it like 2%? (laughs) Easy answer. Are you ready? It's because God knows that there are mathematically challenged people like me. (laughs) And he had to make it easy. Oh, what should we do? 10. 10 is pretty easy. It's like if I have 10 $1 bills, let's, here's a little test. 10 $1 bills spread out, which one's the tithe? One. And which one is it? The first. So let me give it to you like this. I used to buy my kids candy in, on long road trips, and then I would do daddy tithe, where I'd put my hand back and say, now no, pay the Lord. <laughs> Come on, somebody. And my kids were almost as stingy as church people. They were just like, (laughs) not this church. You guys are generous. I'm talking about other churches, not you guys. But so if I like, if I like take 10 M&Ms, here's a tithe. Before I eat any, I take the green one because that's the best. That's money. 
And I set it aside and say, it belongs to you, God. And God says, now good, enjoy the other nine. It's pretty easy, right? Come on. Come on. The problem is we're like, God, those nine were good. I really like this one too. God's like, do you want my blessing? Mm, this one looks pretty good. God says, as long as you, excuse me, as long as you honor me, I'll release my blessing in your life. Or you can have all ten and live under a curse. That's where faith really hits the ground. And so I thought I'd just make sure. Just a little bit. It's biblical. I got one left. Here you go, bro. There you go. Oh, peg somebody with it. It says in Proverbs chapter 11, there's one who scatters. Yet increases all the more. So I'm believing for a harvest of M&Ms to come into my life. In Jesus' name. Come on. I release. I believe it. I receive it. Money is a test. The tithe is a test. What you may not know is why God chose the number 10 is because the number 10, all through the pages of Scripture, 10 represents testing. Ten represents testing. Think of these examples for just a moment. Uh, how many, and I want you guys to answer, okay? So how many times did God test Pharaoh's heart by pouring out, how many plagues on Egypt? How many commandments are there? How many times did God test Israel in the wilderness? <laughs> that was weak. How many times did Jacob's wages change? How many days was Daniel tested? How many virgins in Matthew 25 were tested? How many days of testing are mentioned in Revelations chapter 3? How many disciples are there? I've been teaching the Bible. Come on, people. There's 12 disciples. There's 10 plus 2. It's interesting that 10 is always a number of testing. That's why God chose the number the the percentage of 10. It's spiritual. It's not, not just numerical, it's spiritual. Here's what's interesting is tithing is a test, but it's not just a test of you, it's a test of God. Look at Malachi 3, verse 10. God says, test me now in this, declares the Lord. If I will not open for you the windows of heaven and pour out such a blessing that you cannot contain it. I don't know about you, but I want that kind of blessing. I want the kind of blessing that God opens up the windows over my life. It actually makes absolutely no sense in the natural. People are looking at me going, what in the world is going on there? And I'm just like, I'm, I'm so blessed, I can't even contain it. I don't even know what to do with it. Look at the overflow, the splash off of my life. I want that kind of blessing on my life. I want the, three, the Malachi 3.10 blessing. And when God says, test me, what he's saying is, I'm testing you because I want to see your heart. Now I want you to test me because I want to show you mine. I want to show you mine. Test me. It's as if God's saying, I double dog dare you. When I was a kid, a double dog dare was like, you dare somebody, and then you double dare somebody. But when you double down dog dare somebody... You better mean what you mean. And God means it when he says, test me. Put me to the test. Can I promise you something? He's faithful. No other time in the Bible does God say, test me. 
It's the only time. Because God wants to be first in our finances. Now, let me just say this. There's all kinds of excuses of why we don't. I've thought all of the excuses that you've probably ever thought of. There's been times you you might think to yourself, well, you're a pastor. Listen, the love of money tries to visit everybody's heart. Well, if I just didn't give this, then I'd have more to do this. But as I mentioned, money is a test. This life is a test. What we do with our money, I think, do you know that every one of us are going to stand before God and give an account for our lives? Every word we've ever spoken and what we've done with all the money he put into our hands. And I want to close by just reading this account to you out of Genesis chapter 14. It's, uh, to me, to me, this is the heart. This is the heart of of the principle of tithing, the spiritual principle. And it's found in the life of Abram, the father of our faith. We know him as Abraham. But long before that, when God first called Abram, his name was shortened. It was Abram, which means exalted father. Later, it would become father of a multitude. But when God first called him, remember he left Ur of the Chaldees, and he brought his nephew with him, whose name was Lot. And they came out, and they had all kinds of herds and all kinds of animals, and they separated in the, in the, the pleasant land, and Lot goes this way, Abram goes this way. Well, what happened was some large armies from the north came and invaded and they kidnapped Lot and his family and all their servants and they took all of his wealth, all of his animals, all of his herds and they took them and they were going to keep them for themselves. Abram heard about it. Even though he was outnumbered 10 to 1, he decides to go and rescue his nephew. And so he goes and God wrought an amazing victory. Outnumbered 10 to 1. And he's, he gets Lot back, he gets his nephews and nieces back, he gets all the servants, he's got all the herds, and in fact, he even gets more. And he's on his way back to his encampment, and he's walking by the city of Jerusalem. And he's visited by two characters. I'm just going to read these to you. In verse 18 it says, And then Melchizedek, king of Salem, brought out bread and wine to him. He was the priest of God Most High, and he said, Bless He said, blessed be Abram of God most high, possessor of heaven and earth. Blessed be the God most high who has delivered your enemies into your hands. And it says, and Abram gave him a tithe of everything. Now, when you read the Bible, Melchizedek, you'll see see that name in the book of Hebrews again because it says that Jesus came after the order of Melchizedek, a priest unto God. Melchizedek is literally, he's the king and the priest of Jerusalem. He comes out to Abram as Abram's on his way back in his victory march, and he brings bread and wine, which are types of the body and the blood of Jesus. This is probably a Christophany, a pre-Christ appearance of the Son of God to Abram, foretelling him how he's going to redeem humanity. Bread and the wine. Remember that Jesus said, Abraham saw my day and he rejoiced. It's in this moment. And he brings out to Abram and he says, the body and the blood of Christ that is going to save lost people and bring them back to the heart of God. Abram's response was, the reason why I won that battle, the reason why the enemy did not overwhelm me is because I'm a covenant man with God. And so I'm taking the first tenth 
and I'm giving it to the priest because I know where my blessing comes from. But then he gets visited by another man. It says in verse 21, Then the king of Sodom said to Abram, Give me the souls, and you take all the goods for yourself. Second person that came to visit Abram after his greatest victory was the king of Sodom. And we know what Sodom represents. It was, it was the world. It was worldly pleasures. It was Sodom is typically a, a picture of society and a world perspective under the influence of demonic thought patterns. And the king of Sodom, which represents the devil, in this moment comes out to Abram, and here was his offer. You don't have to tithe. Give me all the souls, all the people, and you keep all the money for yourself. Abram's response is he said, I will take nothing, not even a thread of a sandal strap, and I will not take anything that is yours, lest they say when it's all said and done, I have made Abram rich. He passed the test. He passed the test. And you know what you find right next, right after that? Is God reappears to him and he says to him, Abraham, well done. I am your shield and your exceedingly great reward. God says, because you passed the test, now I can be your reward. Now the promises can become a reality because I know I have your heart. Do you know that the enemy comes? You and I are visited every single day of our lives. Every time you get a paycheck or an electronic transfer, or every time you get increase in your life, two voices come to visit you. One is the voice of Sodom that says, don't worry about people that are lost and far away from God. Don't worry about the church. Don't worry about the kingdom of God. Don't worry about the gospel going forth. You just keep all the money for yourself and your own pleasure. Don't honor God with it. And then there's the voice of Jesus that says, he reminds you of the body and the blood. He says, here's the price I paid so that lost people could be found for eternity. And he presents it as a way of saying, come on, I went to the cross and gave it all. Will you honor me so that other people can find me as well, so that there might be spiritual food in my house? Would you stand up with me all over this room? Today, if you... If you want to put God first in your finances. And maybe you've never heard this message of the tithe before. You're just like, wow, that's all brand new to me. Today is a day where God just says, I want you to start. I want you to just start. I want you to put your faith, I want you to put your finances where your faith is. You've never heard it before. It's all brand new today. He just calls you to trust him. And you're just like, wow, that's a, that's a, big, that's a big ask from the Lord. It's as if Jesus is on the water saying, come on, Peter. Step out of the boat. Come on, you can walk on water, but you got to get out of the boat. Some of us today have heard it, and we're doing it, and we're rejoicing. You're shouting me down because you're just like, yes, I have tasted and seen that the Lord is good. And there is nothing more, more uh, exhilarating than walking the faith journey with Jesus and knowing that my provision and my blessing don't come from anybody. It comes from the Lord. And some of you, you're there today. But some of us are right in the middle, in the valley of decision. We know it, 
but do we have the faith and the courage to actually do it? And today, as your pastor, listen, I'm not going to guilt anybody. I'm not going to check on anybody. I love you. The only reason I want you to tithe, I don't, it's not like a percentage pyramid deal. I don't get any more if you do. But here's what does happen. We build the kingdom of God together. We partner in, with God in building the kingdom. We reach lost men and women. There's food in the spiritual house. And the windows of heaven, all of a sudden, the sliding glass door of heaven over your life gets opened up. And God says, now, you've put the key of obedience in the door. Now, you've released my hands to let out the blessing I want on your life. And today, all over this room, I want you to bow your heads, close your eyes with me today. I don't want to embarrass anyone. But I do want to, I do want to allow you an opportunity to respond to God. You see, every single one of us in this room tithe. It's just a matter of who we tithe to. The first tenth is going to go to somebody. One comes with a curse, one comes with a blessing. Today I call you to choose God. And I, I want every person, to, I want you to seal your eyes. I don't want anybody sneaking a peek. This is private. But if today, not because I've said it, but because you sense the Holy Spirit speaking to your heart, and you'd say, I know in my heart of hearts, I need to return to the Lord. I need to put him first in my finances. I'm not saying you're not a Christian, but you just know in this area, you need to put God first in your finances. And today, you have the courage in your heart. You're saying, today I'm making a determination. I'm going to honor God with my tithe, and I'm going to put him to the test to open the windows of heaven over my life. I just want you to raise your hand. You can put it down just as quickly as you raised it. What's important is not that I saw it, it's that he saw it. Lord, today I pray your favor, your blessing. Lord, we want our faith to go forward. We want to grow. We want to see your kingdom come and your will be done. We want to honor you, Jesus, as the Lord of all. I want our prayer team, if they would step into place right now all across this room. And here's, here's how we're going to close. Number one, if you just raise your hand, I'm going to encourage you today, 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 whether it's going home whether it's before you leave, using the boxes in the back, whether it's writing it down in a card, putting it in your Bible until your next paycheck. I want you to do something tangibly today to begin to get the ball rolling. Number two, I know that there are a lot of us that this is, this is a struggle because barely making ends meet right now. It's just hard. And you want to do it. And it's going to take faith for you to do it, but you're going through some things financially. Or maybe you're just going through some things spiritually in your life. Emotionally, you feel alone, whatever it is. It's just fear has gripped you today. Totally separate. This is not a monetary issue right here. This is just a heart issue. If you need prayer, we, we love you. We want to pray for you. We want to pray with you. We want to stand in faith with you. Because here's what I know. God is faithful. And he meets us at the point of our faith. And so today, whatever it is that you have need of, we're just going to invite you to come forward and receive prayer. God, send us from this place blessed, full of faith, and Lord, help us to be lights that shine brightly for you in the midst of a dark world full of fear. Help us to point others to you in Jesus' name. Amen.